This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, a show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I am delighted to have actress, singer, writer, and artist Marilyn Lightstone here today. We sat down together over 25 years ago on a show called In the Spotlight, and I'm so delighted to continue our conversation today. Gosh, we're old. (laughs) I'm delighted to be so. (laughs) Me too. Whether you know Marilyn Lightstone from her moving performances on stage, screen, and television, or because you hear her signature voice daily on Canada's Vision TV, One TV, and the new Classical FM, and what a voice it is, she is recognized as one of Canada's most preeminent and multifaceted artists. Most recently, Marilyn produced and hosted the third season of Vision TV's popular music series, Your All-Time Classic Hit Parade. Let's roll that clip. Courtesy of Zoomer Media. As well as a new musical composition of In Flanders Fields for the Toronto Men's Chorus, arranged by David Warwick. Marilyn has also written an all-inclusive interfaith Christmas Hanukkah song, The Light Shines All Over the World, and that has become a holiday season staple. In addition to being the voice of the new classical FM, Marilyn can be heard seven nights a week from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. as the host of Nocturne, the world's only radio show that combines classical music with poetry, and it is so soothing, and the music is just gorgeous. Here's a short excerpt from Nocturne. And a very good evening to you. I'm Marilyn Lightstone, and I'm your host here at Nocturne from the new Classical 96.3 FM. On television, Marilyn is internationally recognized for her performance as Miss Stacy in the Anne of Green Gables miniseries, as well as in the spin-off series Road to Avonlea. Among her accolades in film are a Genie Award for Best Actress for Lies My Father Told Me, courtesy of Vision TV. Oh, I'm just wild about Harry, and Harry's wild about me. Oh, that just brings me back, and I just loved watching it again a couple of days ago in preparation for this. And a Genie Award for Best Supporting Actress for In Praise of Older Women, and a Best Actress Award at the Moscow International Film Festival for The Tin Flute. On stage, Marilyn's many roles have included Goneril in King Lear, at the Lincoln Center in New York opposite Lee J. Cobb, wow, Masha in Chekhov's The Seagull at the Stratford Festival, the title role in the one-woman show Miss Margarita, and Leah in the Dybbuk, winner of a Los Angeles Drama Critics Award as Best Production. She was also part of the original Los Angeles and New York casts of Tamara, the groundbreaking, long-running, interactive theatrical phenomenon that played to rave reviews around the world. 
Marilyn is an early graduate of Montreal's esteemed National Theatre School, and her novel, which I just read, Rogues and Vagabonds, published in 2001, available on Amazon, by the way, was based largely on her training for and work in the acting profession. This fall, Marilyn will be launching a new literary podcast called Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Episodes of Marilyn reading Jane Eyre, the first feature novel, will be available at classicalfm.ca beginning this September the 14th. Marilyn, it is truly an honor to have you here. Welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you so much for having me, Judy. A pleasure. We did an interview. We were just saying, (laughs) I hope it's not dating us, over 25 years ago on a television show called In the Spotlight. And I remember one thing that you said clearly on the television show about what you love about being an actress and an artist. Let's roll that clip. What drives Marilyn Lightstone so relentlessly? It's fun. (laughs) Of course, we all know we don't do it for awards. And um, even though possibly we do it to earn a living, because that's always nice, I think what drives most creative people is just the the joy of doing it. And there's really no choice. I I don't think we can pat ourselves on the back too much about it, because it's something you really have to do. I mean, if there's something else you'd rather do, then that means you weren't really intended to do that to begin with. So I, I figure that if you were really blessed with potential to do a certain variety of things that it is what you're put on this earth for to explore that potential and to uh, to extend what you can do in in the world the world is here to learn i just love what you said marilyn and i'm wondering if that's evolved for you in any way since that interview so many years ago you have so much energy and you're always creating what inspires and fuels you every day to keep being so creative I'm happiest when I'm making stuff. It's whether writing stuff, painting stuff, acting stuff, uh, doing something at home, being involved in my garden. I just like shaping my environment and having control over my work to as much as, as possible as we can have control over work. But uh, creativity, really, it sounds so cliche these days, I mean, but, but that's it. But you really are a truly creative being. You know, and also in that clip, you said it's fun. What drives me so relentlessly is performing and creating is just fun. (laughs) And, you know, I, I can't get over. I really have sort of remarveled at you as I've looked over your incredible career on stage, screen and television. Your bio really is beyond impressive. And I loved rewatching clips and reliving much of it. You never stop working, creating, reinventing, and reimagining. Can you take us back to Marilyn as a little girl in Montreal? Did you always love to perform? Yes. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I, I made up stories and sort of plays and, and really demanded that my friends become involved with me in putting them on. And, um, and singing, of course, I always loved to sing, and I just loved to paint and that's how I spent my childhood. Uh, my mother was always trying to convince me to, to leave the house, leave my book, and go outside and play. And I would always say, well, after this chapter, over the next chapter, and then finally, of course, I would finish the book and I would never get outside to play. But uh, <laughs> the world of the imagination, the world of, the world of, that creates beauty and that means communication and learning about other cultures and other times and other places, all those things really captured me as a child. Mythology, for example. I mean, I had my, you know, my very 
various um, favorites at, at any given time, but um, it was always something that someone had, had made for my pleasure, a, a book, a song, a, a play, and uh, that turned me on then, and it still turns me on. So wonderful. You also got accepted into really one of the finest theater schools in the world, the National Theater School. And if I remember correctly, they only accept 12 students a year. What was that like, getting accepted? I know it was near the beginning of the program, but how would you describe that period in your life, and how did it shape you as an artist? Oh, it's so exciting. First of all, it was the only full-time theater school in the country. Uh, universities did not teach drama, did not te- teach acting. And between you and me, I'm not sure whether they should teach acting. I don't think that acting is really a subject for a university education. It's not an academic subject. But for being a theater school at that time, I was 21. I just finished McGill University. And much to my, my great joy, the theater school became available to, to me if I could pass the audition. Because before that, I would have been confronted with a situation in which I would either have had to go to London or to New York to study, and I just didn't have the money to do that. I'd, I'd spend whatever, you know, few pennies I had on, on my McGill education, and uh, there was no way I could, I could leave my, my home. But with the theater school, I was able to stay at home, be with my family, and still pursue a career that I, I knew I was going to love. Uh, it was a very exciting time. It was a very experimental time. Very People were very motivated who created the school and who taught there, and uh, they had a profound effect on me. Wow, what what an incredible coup early on in your career. And it really shows that they saw the talent that we all see, like they, they got it. You got cast and won a Canadian Film Award, also known as a Genie Award, equivalent in Canada to an Oscar, for playing the mother, Annie Herman, in the Canadian classic Lies My Father Told Me, which was even nominated for an Academy Award for Best Writing of an Original Screenplay. When I told friends that you, Marilyn, were going to be appearing on our program, they all said they'll never forget you in that classic award-winning film, and they still remember your beautiful performance, and even that famous refrain, rags, clothes, bottles, yes. which is part of our Canadian culture, right? It's, it's part of us. Yes. Uh, well, for me, it, it was just, a, you know, thrilling. It was my, it was my first film. And um, I couldn't have asked for a better part or a more wonderful cast and a terrific script and a, a great story. I mean, it's just a joy. Mm, absolutely. We have a clip from your award-winning performance in Lies My Father Told Me, and it's the scene where you were frantic going to look for your son, David, who has run away. Let's roll that clip now. Why did you let him go? He could be lost. He's not lost. Not a kid anymore. Stop baby. Well, what did you say to him? What did I say? I said what a father says to his son. It's not easy. I mean, his grandfather died, the horse. Well, where is he? Where could he be? He'll come back. He'll come back. He'll get over it. I'll get him a puppy. Relax. A puppy? A puppy? What kind of a father are you? What kind of a person are you? Maybe now I'll have a chance to show you what kind of a father I am, eh? You couldn't hide your joy when Pa died, could oh, you? Oh, come on, stop. You're hysterical. I am not hysterical. Well, you're getting on my nerves. He'll get cold. He'll come back. He'll come back. Take off your boots. You're not going after him. Nobody's going after him. Harry, I am. Don't ever raise your voice to me again. There's going to be some changes around here. Big changes. Invent a new mirror, Harry, so you can get a good look at yourself. 
Oh, my God. I, you know, I'm just even listening to that clip, Marilyn, and I have the chills and I have tears in my eyes. You, I do, too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, you are such a fine actress. Like you are you are. I just believe you. I always believe you. It's never it's just never a question. And what was that scene like? What was making that film like for you? Oh, it was wonderful. It was, first of all, it, it took me back to my own childhood and to my own family history because where we were filming was two streets over to Clark Street where I grew up. And the set that we were working in and the things around in the set, the, the, the texture of the walls and the paint and the cracks and the overpainting. And it, it just, it just reminded me of my, my own childhood. And of course, listening to that clip and listening to the wonderful Lenny Berman, my, who played my husband, one of the most gentlest, kindest people you could ever, ever imagine. And, uh, you know, we'd worked together many, many times on Rod Connie Bear and Company was a radio show we did, which was a comedy sketches. And I think prior to Lies, my father told me that's where, where Len and I had worked together. And uh, he's still a friend to this day. And um, it was I keep saying it's great, it's great, but it, but it was. First of all, for any actor to be working is great. And if you have the luxury of being able to turn down things that you know are not right for you or that are not really of quality... Um, that's a very good place to be in as well. And I've always been so fortunate that the things that I've, I've been able to do have been things that I've, I've loved. Speaking of quality, your, your next iconic role that you played was Miss Stacy in CBC's Anne of Green Gables and Road to Avonlea. And you really made Miss Stacy into the most beloved character in this gorgeous Canadian classic. What was it like making Anne of Green Gables and working with this wonderful cast, which reads like a veritable who's who of Canadian theatre, really? Again, a, a delight. <laughs> it really, really was. Um, again, a terrific cast, a wonderful script. Kevin Sullivan was a great person to, to work for. I found, to much to my amazement, actually, uh, that the character of Miss Stacy, which was really fully developed in the miniseries, in the actual book doesn't appear until about, oh, I know, five-sevenths of the way into the book, and then she is always referred to. She's kind of an offstage character. <laughs> so when I found that out, uh, I was doubly delighted because the fact that I got to play this, you know, this wonderful character, and it was made me friends around the world. Um, one of the things, I don't do much social media, but I do do Instagram, and there are Anne of Green Gables fans all over the world. They are in Russia, they are in Greece, they are in Yugoslavia. I'm, I have have Instagram followers who follow Road to Avonlea and Anne from Argentina and Iran. We're a big hit in Iran of all places. I know that. I actually know that from Mag Ruffman who talks about that, that there, it is a huge hit there as well. It's amazing that, how far-reaching. I interviewed Megan Follows many times around the, the period of you doing this. What are your memories of working with Megan Follows as Anne in Lucy Maud Montgomery's treasured classic, Anne of Green Gables? Well, a terrific actress. For me, it was it was doubly again pleasurable because I'd worked with her mother in earlier days. Of course, Don and Greenhouse. To, you know, Don Greenhouse. Yes, Don Greenhouse. And one time we were both a sort of handmaidens to um, to Zoe Caldwell at Stratford and Anthony and Cleopatra. And I remember sitting with her on the steps behind the stage, that wonderful, famous Stratford stage, and um, she was telling me that she was pregnant. 
She was pregnant with Megan. She oh. hadn't expected to be pregnant. Yeah, so I remember very vividly. And then sort of, you know, performing with this young woman just kind of brought it all for full circle. Oh, isn't that a wonderful story? Thank you for yeah. sharing that story. We have a clip from a favorite scene of you with Megan Follows, courtesy of the CBC and Marilyn Lightstone on YouTube. Let's roll that clip. Sometimes people don't want to hear the truth, Anne. You see, it frightens them, so they put up walls to protect themselves from it. What we must bear in mind is that all these trials and tribulations that pop up in our lives, well, they serve a very useful purpose. They build character. As long as we can hold on to the lessons we've learned from our mistakes. Remember, you can always start everything afresh tomorrow. That is a tremendous consolation, Miss Stacy. Hmm? Tomorrow is always fresh with no mistakes in it. Well, with no mistakes in it yet. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, that's just <laughs> Does you. that does that bring flooding memories? It it did bring memories back. Also, I must tell you that the second book uh, we haven't talked about this, but I'm doing going to be doing a literary podcast, as you know, Miss Miss. Well, have we talked about it already? Not yet, but I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Well, the second book that I've read is Anna Green Gables, and we're about halfway through recording it right now. Oh. So uh, it's all very fresh in, in my mind, indeed. And what a wonderful piece of work. How, how joyous again. There's no point in doing stuff that makes you unhappy. Yes, you're so right. You're, you're doing this podcast, and we are going to talk about it, and I'm going to talk about what the first book is, which happens to be one of my favorite books. And honestly, one of my other favorite Honestly, bedside table books. It was a blue hardcover book. Is Anne of Green Gables? So how wonderful! And I'm going to let the audience wait to see at the end of the show what the first book is because it's equally wonderful. Your stage career, Marilyn, is dazzling. My goodness, Masha in Chekhov's The Seagull at the Stratford Festival, being part of that wonderfully experimental Tamara in New York and L.A. Was there a moment on stage that stands out for you as one in which you thought? It just doesn't get any better than this. I love doing this so much. Um, well, there's one thing I remember from, from the Dibbuk. It was a nightmare scene set in a graveyard and all a sort of big fantasy number. Leia is going to be married the following day to someone she has never met. And there she is in her bridal gown, in her dream, and her veil, in a graveyard. And all the beggars of the town are are sort of crawling around the graves and, and drinking and being, well, all very disturbing. And at one point, I remember being picked up by my ankles and by my wrists. And, you know, the sort of kind of flag thing that people can do, you know, where you would lift something in the air and drop it down again like a flag like a like a like a sheet yes. that's what they were doing to me and i remember thinking at the time like isn't this a very unusual way to make a living you know kind of being <laughs> flipped up and down in a, in a graveyard dressed in a bridal dress by a bunch of drunken beggars so i i kind of remember that very vividly but now i remember a lot of the things about the various roles i've played but also i've forgotten a lot and uh, i must admit one day in the subway station uh there was a fellow that came up to me and said Mary and how are you? And I looked at him and I didn't remember him at all. And he put out his arms and we kind of, we embraced and I'm thinking my mind is racing wildly. And I, he said, do you remember we were such fun working together on that radio show? And I said, well, 
forgive me, I don't quite, I don't quite remember. And then he told me the name of the show that we don't, and I still didn't remember. Oh dear. So, well, after 55 years of, you know, of, of working, things do kind of get a little fuzzy in certain areas, but, but others still stand out sharp and clear. But I guess the feeling of performing, that is a sort of a sense memory that never goes away. What do you love about performing, Marilyn? Oh God, because it's a, it's a creative act. It's the same, it's the same kind of satisfaction from painting a good picture or writing a song or it's joyous. I, I don't believe in doing things that make you unhappy. I feel very sorry for people, you know, who spend their time watching the clock and uh, sort of waiting for their working day to pass so that they can go home and do stuff that they really love. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the great joys of my life is that Oh, the work that I do is the thing that I really love. It's, it's just as, work is just as pleasurable as play, perhaps even more so. Do, do what you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. A day in your life. I do believe in, I do believe that. And really, that is really the, the, my credo. And I, I follow that as much as possible. What, what a blessed thing to have. And so great for our listeners to hear that because that's what I would love to impart to them that they, that everyone deserves to have that mm-hmm. absolute passion and love for what they do. You've also reinvented yourself so many times. You have a whole other career as the voice of your all-time classic hit parade, now in its third season on Vision TV. What have you loved about hosting your all-time classic hit parade with wonderful folks like Judy Marshak and Tom Allison and so many others? Well, that's just it. It's working with extraordinary talented people. And uh, I was so lucky in that the people that I wanted well, some of them already had known each other very well and had worked together, but even the people who were strangers to one another, there's cliche, I know, but a familial feeling about it all. Everyone is in it for everybody else. There, there are no drama queens on this show. There, there are no divas and everyone wants everyone else to be, to be wonderful. And, and they are a tremendously generous cast. So there's that. And then there's also the fact that we're working with stuff that has been successful, you know, from the moment it was released, stuff that's from the Billboard charts, from the Hit Parade charts. So wonderful music by wonderful composers. And uh, that's, again, the great joy, because if you are going to perform, you have to perform good material to get that, you know, to get that. And if you don't, well, I can't imagine really what it must be like. It must be a tremendous trial to make something work when it's 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 really inferior. But the hit parade, the music is great, the musicians are wonderful. Uh, David Warwick, our musical arranger, is, I think, a genius, and uh, our, our singers are, are all fabulous. It just looks like so much fun. It just looks so joyous. Everyone's dancing and it happy. Is. And It is. The thing that I, I love, really, though, is that when I originally envisioned this, I, I, I kind of thought that the, at the very end, for the sing-along, that the camera would sort of pan through the audience, you know, and see them singing while they're seated in their chairs. And uh, what happened instead, I don't know who kicked this off, but someone in the audience seems to seem to believe that they were being invited to come up to the stage and <laughs> sing and dance. And so they did. And it became a big party at the end of every show. Oh. So that was totally, totally unexpected and is just added to to the thrill and, and to the joy of doing it. It's just so great. Congratulations on that show. You 
You also are the host of a very different show that I love, Nocturne, a wonderful mix of classical music with poetry. What a cool combination from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. And I just love your soothing voice and that combination of music and poetry and also your choice of music. It just, I don't know, I was sort of weeping last night listening to some of this beautiful music and then your soothing voice. What what do you love about doing this show? It's it's such a departure from so many of the other things that you do. I love a chance to be intimate because when you're working on a stage, of course, you were performing before an audience of, well, hundreds, hopefully, and in a big space. But when you work in front of the microphone, you know this, Judy, how wonderful a thing the microphone is when you can get up really close and be very intimate. So given the time slot between 11 and 1 in the morning, this is, you know, before sleep for many, many people. And it's a chance for people just to kind of relax and breathe and sort of exhale at the end of the day. So my performance is catered to that. It's sort of to try to calm everyone down. You, you do such a great job of it. And yet you're calm, but you're just you want to listen. You're on the edge of your seat to hear it and calm at the same time, if that's possible. You're also a brilliant voiceover artist. And so Vision TV and the new classical FM's Marilyn Lightstone and the Canadian Men's Chorus got together, accompanied by David Warwick, who you just mentioned, and did this reimagining of In Flanders Fields, which was written by you. You're also a writer and arranged by David in honor of the 100th anniversary of Armistice. Can you just tell us about what that was like and what it was like performing in this new reimagining of Flanders Fields and what this poem means to you? Good question. You know, I remember learning this poem when I was a child in school. But of course, the, our teachers were not actors and actresses. They were, they were teachers. And I remember being in Flanders Field, the poppies grow between the, you know, very kind of that sort of syncopation sort of thing. Mm. And then, um, several years ago, um, for the Zoomer show, we were doing, doing a Remembrance Day show and all the guests were people from the military. They were kind of higher up types. And, um, I was talking with, with Moses, who, uh, is, of course, our, our boss, and, um, saying, well, in terms of in Flanders Field, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do with that for the Zoomer show for Remembrance Day? And I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll recite it. So I thought before I recite this on television, I better go back and, and read it again and, uh, refresh my memory. And of course, when I read it, I realized, that it is not in Flanders Field where poppies grow. This, and it's also not, ah, oh, it's not a peacenik kind of number either. Uh, we tend to feel, you know, in Canada that, oh, war is terrible, and it is, and that we should never have another war, which we shouldn't and mustn't. But there are times when you have to fight, when you have to be militant, when you have to stand up for what you believe in. So I, I read in Flanders Field, and lo and behold, it is not saying, oh, isn't this terrible, and we will never go to war again. It's a call to arms. And, of course, only when you have to, you know, do that, must you do it. But if you must do it, you must do it. So it's take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. I mean, these are not pacifist kind of lyrics. And I thought, where did this go? Where did this interpretation go? It's it, Somehow it's gotten lost and so when I, when I, when I read it, you know, on camera that time, I read it as a call to arms. And, um, and all the military types, you know, who were speaking on the show, uh, 
approached me afterwards and said, we never heard it recited like that before. Mm. And they were quite excited by it. And I thought, well, isn't this interesting? So time went by and somehow it got into, it became a little earworm in my ear, the, the lyrics, the, the words of the poem became lyrics. And as I thought about more and more and more, this idea of the fact that it's a, a, a musical call to arms sort of settled into my brain. And it just seemed that that's the only way to go with these lyrics. That's what was intended. So that's the history. And, um, finally I realized that this thing is complete in my, in my head. So I telephoned David who is my, my go-to guy for anything musical, Mr. Warwick. And I said, David, I think we have a new interpretation here, but I, I need you to arrange it. So we got together and, um, and kind of that's the, that's the history. So we, we now have a, there are other song versions of In Flanders Field, but this is a new one and I think is the most militant. It's so wonderful. We have a clip from In Flanders Fields. Let's have a listen. In Flanders Fields, we the poppies blow. Between the crosses, roll on roll. That mark on place and in the sky. The lark still bravely singing. Flags scarce heard of the guns because we are the dead. Short days Marilyn, you have a new literary podcast coming up in the fall called Marilyn Lightstone Reads. And I almost fell off my chair when I read that one of the first books you'll be reading is my all-time favorite novel, Jane Eyre. How wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit more about the show? And this is so perfect for you. I'm so thrilled that you're doing this. Well, first of all, Jane is a fantastic book to start with. It's a tremendously strong character. She is both the heroine and the narrator. So you've got a kind of double whammy there. And um, it's a very strong, intense focus on the, on this one character and her experiences. Be- a masterpiece of a book. I read it when I was in my teens, and I, I wonder if I really appreciated then, you know, what an extraordinary tale that it is. I love reading aloud. I always have. Uh, when, when I was a kid in, you know, grade school, in which we were, every now and then the teacher would say in reference to some poem that she would like someone, one of the students to, to recite it. And everyone else is sort of cowering in their seat and kind of cover their head. I mean, my hand would always be up and they'd say, Mavis, please, Mavis, Mavis. I love reading aloud. So the chance to read aloud, you know, for, for, for this oh length my. of time and uh, this wonderful material is, is, is thrilling to me. Oh, I'm uh, so excited. Uh, I'm trying to do it in in a way where um, I'm really performing the book rather than narrating it, mm-hmm. because there are wonderful characters through through you know through this book, mm-hmm. and the chance to play well in grain. Let's see, in Jane Eyre, there's about maybe ten main characters, and then about fifteen sort of you know minor characters. So lots of voices, male voices, female voices, old mm-hmm. voices, young voices. I decided not to read it with an English accent. <laughs> 
Accents throw a lot of people for a loop. They yeah. have problems. And then, you know, once you get into doing accents, you say, well, yes, it's an English book, but it's sort of set in the north, and there are all these kind of regional accents, and they can be kind of a barrier between the, the reader and the listener. So I've focused on the characters rather than on their on their accents. It, it's such fun. Two hours of straight reading, I must say. I've never done that before. And um, it really is kind of all-consuming, and at the end, I'm like, I'm pooped, and... <laughs> Ravenous. I just want to eat something immediately. But such, such fun. It's just an absolute joy. I'm recording in, in my favorite recording studio, which is indoors. There are no windows to the outside. And I turn off all the lights in the studio mm. and just have only one light on my iPad, which is what I'm using for reading. It's much, much easier than flipping pages, you know, in a book to sort of keep the continuity flowing. So I am there in the dark studio with just this backlit iPad, very close to the mic, and just sort of trying to get into the head of the writer and into the characters. And I I just love it. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. Let's have a listen to Marilyn Lightstone reading an excerpt from Jane Eyre on her new podcast, Marilyn Reads on Classical 96.3 FM. I might have escaped notice had not my treacherous slate somehow happened to slip from my hand and falling with an obtrusive crash, directly drawn every eye upon. It came. A careless girl, said Mr. Brocklehurst, then aloud. How loud it seemed to me. Let the child who broke her slate come forward. Of my own accord, I could not have stirred. I was paralyzed but the two great girls who sat on each side of me set me on my legs and pushed me towards the dread judge. Fetch that stool, said Mr. Brocklehurst, pointing to a very high one from which a monitor had just risen. Place the child upon it. And I was placed there. My dear children, pursued the black marble clergyman with pathos. This is a sad, a melancholy occasion. For it becomes my duty to warn you that this girl, who might be one of God's own lambs, is a little castaway, not a member of the true flock, but evidently an interloper and an alien. You must be on your guard against her. You must shun her example. If necessary, avoid her company, exclude her from your sports, and shut her out from your converse. Teachers? You must watch her. Keep your eyes on her movements. Weigh well her words. Scrutinize her actions. Punish her body to save her soul. If indeed such salvation is possible. Turning at the door, my judge said, let her stand half an hour longer on that stool and let no one speak to her during the remainder of the day. There was I then, mounted aloft. I who had said I could not bear the shame of standing on my natural feet in the middle of the room, was now exposed to general view on a pedestal of infant. What my sensations were, no language can describe. But, just as they all rose, stifling my breath and constricting my throat, a girl came up and passed me. In passing, she lifted her eyes. What a strange light inspired them. It was as if a martyr, a hero, had passed a slave or victim 
and imparted strength in the transit. I mastered the rising hysteria, lifted up my head, and took a firm stand on the stool. Helen Burns asked some slight question about her work of Miss Smith, was chidden for the triviality of the inquiry, returned to her place, and smiled at me as she again went by. What a smile. Oh, that is so good. I can't wait to hear more. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll hear about your paintings and the fact that I believe you just donated 150 of your paintings to St. Joseph's Hospital. They're so gorgeous. We'll hear about that when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back. This is Finding Your Bliss, AM 740, FM 96.7. And I'm here with actress and voiceover artist and writer and singer, beautiful singer, Marilyn Lightstone. And guess what? She is also many other things. She, For those of you who don't know, she is also an extremely talented painter and a photographer. And just before the break, I mentioned that you just donated a slew of your paintings to St. Joseph's Hospital. And they're gorgeous and they're, they're colorful and they make me so happy when I see them. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, I had a, an art studio for about seven years and... Um, at a certain point, I thought, I think I've sort of done this. I have to get back to other things. So I closed the studio and, uh, the point is, you know, what, what is to do with all these, these paintings? And, uh, someone said, well, you know, have a big sale, sort of reduce the prices. And I said, no, I, I really don't want to, to do that. And I thought, who could benefit? from these, you know, having a little brightness on the walls. And I remembered a point where I'd been in St. Joe's for a, a catar- for cataract surgery, and I was in the waiting room, and I looked around me, and there were a few kind of ancient magazines on the table, but nothing up on the walls. And it was a sort of a nervous-making situation, you know, going in for surgery, however routine it has become. And I thought, this play, this room really needs something. So when it came time to think what to do with the paintings, I thought, I'm a big fan of St. Joe's. Um, I've had a number of procedures done there over the years. I admire the people who, uh, who man that hospital. It is my regional hospital. And, uh, I would like to see if they can use my artwork to put up on their walls and just cheer people up. So I contacted the hospital and it, it all worked out and um, they, they put up a lot of the pieces. Now I know they're in the eye clinic, the x-ray department where people get mammograms and stuff like that. I've seen them myself in various waiting rooms where families get together, you know, to be with with the patients if they're able to leave their their bedrooms or just to kind of relax between visits. 
they've put them in a special room and they will only put them up uh, once the uh, the area has been remodeled, repainted, redesigned, which they're doing at St. Joe's. They're, you know, kind of refreshing a lot of their space. So they wait until all that's been done before they put up the paintings. That's the last thing. But I, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that they, for me, it's a, it's, it's my legacy to them. Oh. I, I admire them so much. And I, I know it means a lot to the people who have to sit, you know, in waiting rooms, you know, for, for hours on in under tremendously stressful circumstances to be able to sit in a place which is pleasant and which there is something to look at, which hopefully maybe will raise their spirits. What a wonderfully beautiful gift. And it just again shows your generosity of spirit. I spoke to an actor that worked with you many years ago and said, You've always been just a kind, generous, warm-hearted, beautiful, ravishing person and uh, and still are. And it's, it's, it's just incredible. You have a wonderful Instagram page, Marilyn, that I follow with great enjoyment. You know that every day. Called- yes, I do. <laughs> good, good morning world, it's called. And your photographs are absolutely splendid. What do you love about photography? And again, where does this endless zeal, energy and burst of creativity sprout from? Well, in terms of the creativity, I mean, that's just who I am. Uh, other people can bake wonderful things. They can make inventions. They can do all sorts of things, but just happens to be, it's my personal skill. And I figure if I have it, I'm going to use it because it gives me great joy. And hopefully it helps in some way to make the world a, a better place. Um, in terms of photography, I, I never thought I would be a photographer. But when I was thinking of, of going back to painting, because I thought I was going to be a painter when I was a kid. That was my ambition to be a painter. And I became an actress instead. But at one point I thought, I really want to get back to painting. But until I had my studio, I really wanted to sharpen my eyes. So I got myself a camera and started taking photographs. And well, what do you know? It's an, you know another form of creativity. And I found that there was great joy to be had in that as well. And um, it did help me, you know, in, in maintaining my focus and composition is a tremendous help to, you know, composing a painting if you had that, that background. But, uh, and also there are wonderful things now with photography. You don't, you don't have to have a dark room. You don't have to work with horrible smelling, dangerous chemicals. It's all very easy. And, uh, I, I just rely a lot on my eye, you know, for composition and subject matter that I feel will in some way Soothe, help, uplift, whatever. Uh, I'm not going to be a, a kind of someone going out to cover a war zone and the, the, the pain of the world. There, there are people who do that far better than I ever could. I think you look for the beauty. I think you look for and you find the beauty. Well, you know something? I'm glad you mentioned that because that actually that word, I think beauty is tremendously underrated in our society. I think it's considered a frivolous, a frill, an extra, a luxury. A, I don't think beauty has to cost a lot of money. I think it just requires maybe a little taste and a little discernment. But it is available to everyone. And I think in terms of our mental state of, you know, our, our minds, our, 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 our equilibrium, our, our, our being grounded in the world, it is a tremendously important tool. And sometimes, you know, various professions, the medical professions sort of realize this, you know, in public spaces and hospitals now, they try to make things beautiful or sound being piped in. 
But it should be everywhere. It should be everyone. When I look around me and I think that so many of the things that are constructed, you know, in, in our world, in, in, you know, buildings, for example, I look around our city and I, like, frankly, I'm appalled. Um, whoever, you know, says licenses, you know, what is going to be constructed in our town really should be ashamed of themselves. A little grace note. And the builders as well. I look at the buildings that are going up and I think, why do I prefer a very sort of shabby, small, little, nothing building from day 1920 than I do to some extraordinary skyscraper that just gone up? Because there are no grace notes. The builders have everything down, unless it's a super luxury building in which you're going to spend tons of money, you know, for very wealthy people. Uh, th- there's no... Character. There's no character. No character, no beauty, no refinement, no pleasure. And I, I don't I don't get it. I just don't get it that we have to look at stuff that is ugly when it's mm-hmm. so easy to make something beautiful. It's so true. You are also, Marilyn, an extremely talented writer. And I loved reading your book, Rogues and Vagabonds, which is beautifully written all about the theater for theater buffs out there, but also for Montreal lovers. <laughs> the characters almost provide an incredible picture of theater history in Canada. But what I especially loved was the references to Schwartz's Delicatessen in Montreal, which made me feel like I was sitting right there having a smoked meat sandwich and fries. What inspired you to write this book? Well, when I finally began working in the profession, in the early days, especially with live performances, there'd be a lot of questions and answer periods from audiences. And I discovered that even people who were lovers of art, lovers of the theater, who saw every movie, who went to the theater, live theater, they, they had no idea what actors do for a living. They think that acting is about memorizing lines and learning lines. Now, of course, learning lines is a very important thing to do, but that is really not what acting is about. And I discovered that these people, you know, these aficionados of the theater, have no idea what actors do when they go to work. They know about their personal lives. They know how much money, if they're, you know, wealthy film actors in Hollywood. They know about the scandals. They know about their their million-dollar sort of paydays. But they don't know actually how they work, what they do when they work. And I thought, it's interesting how people work, how actors work, how you compile a performance. Now, when you see a painter work, you know, you can see, you can blocking out a painting, you know, laying things down. Well, the same things happens when you're creating a character. There's all kinds of foundation work laid and, you know, how you work with other actors. And to me... Uh, that's what makes acting so, so fascinating. It's not the final performance, but it's the process of, of creating a performance, of building a performance, of, of, of working with other actors that is so important. I'm always amazed, you know, when I, I, I hear about actors who really are in it for self-glorification. And when they're in a, a situation in a play, they only think about their own characters. Well, no, doesn't work that way. You are the better if you make other people look good. Other Absolutely. people look good and they will make you look good. It's a team effort. And it's like passing, passing the ball around. It's like training for a baseball, you know, kind of team. Really, how to work as a team. It's true as an ensemble. Film acting, this is not quite the same thing, but certainly in terms of the theater, 
It's how to work as a team or in any kind of thing to me that is worthwhile, like the hit parade is how to work as a team. People know instinctively how to work as a team. So that's why I wrote the book, really thinking I I think people would be interested to know what makes an actor really, what makes someone want to be an actor and then how they go about pursuing their their art, how they what they do when when they go into work. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so fantastic. It really is. It, you're right. It's great for actors to read or for mothers of actors. <laughs> that's me. Or for uh, just for anyone who loves the theater to really see it behind the scenes. But also you're a great writer. I didn't even know this about you. So this was a very, very uh, cool discovery. You know, Marilyn, well, over you. 25 years ago, you told me that your one woman musical show Songs for Grown Ups was created by you to celebrate a very special anniversary with your longtime partner and Kobe Vaughn Moses Nimer. And you wrote many songs for Moses and for your mother. Yes, those were my first two songs. One, one was actually for Moses, the second one was for my mom, and the next one was um, The Light Shines All Over the World, which again had very strong motivation. And you said that they both, your mom and Moses, have always supported and encouraged you to make your dreams a reality. Yes, and my dad too, actually my whole family. When I was a kid, I remember... Th- thinking about some of my friends who were all really oh, living in luxury compared to our life. Right? It was pretty bare bones. Uh, there was a great economic struggle in my family. And I would, I would think about other families which seemed to be devoid of the, of the kind of the stresses and strains, you know, that that kind of a life imposed on my family. But later on, as a young woman, I began to talk to my, my women friends to discover that they didn't have the same kind of support and reinforcement that I did when I was a kid. At the time when I was a little girl, it was taken for granted that you would, you would get married, you would have children, and that would be, that would be your life. Really, of art was not really very much involved. Well, I, I was very different from all those little kids. I, I really never thought, when I thought about my future, I never really thought of myself as the, the head of a family, as wonderful as, you know, as that might have been. But I, I did all the, you know, I painted and I made a plays and I acted and I, and I sang as a kid. And my parents, rather than trying to steer me away from that into sort of a more conventional life, were okay with that. They supported me. And then, of course, Moses supported me. And I found out that my friends, who I thought were so privileged, did not get that same kind of, of encouragement, either from their, their parents or from their spouses. And uh, they were thought of really in more conventional terms and kind of, you know, what it was like to be a wife, to be a mom. But um, that was not going to be my life. And I just happened to be born into the right family. And that, that has really given me a, a strength that I think that has lasted me, well, for my whole life, really, knowing that I, I, I had that support always. That's so wonderful. You know, when I think about you and Moses, I really realize in doing this interview that you're both national treasures. Really, you are. You have both supported and uplifted each other. You're an actress, a singer, a writer, and, and an artist. Moses, a media mogul and a visionary. And you both really have transformed our Canadian arts and entertainment landscape in the most profound and magnificent way. And you really are both two exemplary Canadians. And I think that you both are each fulfilling your purpose on this planet, which is what this show is all about. And by doing so, you give other people faith and hope that they can do the same. I don't understand why anyone would want to do otherwise. Be your best of whoever you are. 
whatever that, whatever, you know, if you want to be a golfer, if you want to be a mom, if you want to be a school teacher, just embrace it. There's so many things to do, you know, to, to be who we are. And, uh, for people who don't take advantage of that, well, I feel sorry. I feel sorry for them. You're very blessed. And, uh, and I think we're very blessed to experience all of all of the beautiful art that you create. You also, just not to get superficial, but you look gorgeous. And you're not only <laughs> aging gracefully, but I actually think you're going backwards. What advice do you have for our listeners? What's your secret? My secret? Oh, to do what you love. Really, I, I think happiness. Happiness is the, the greatest youth stimulator you can possibly find. Uh, the way to come down is to be required to do things that you don't want to do. So try to do only things that you love to do. <laughs> and uh, if you must do something you don't like to do, try to find a way to do it to make it less horrible than it might be. Please yourself. You know, everyone has this idea that in order to contribute, you have to be self-sacrificing. I don't believe that. I believe the opposite. I believe in being the truest of who you are when you engage with other people will encourage them to be who they are and to have meaningful relationships and unmeaningful work experiences. What is bliss for Marilyn Lightstone? Oh, bliss. Well, my relationship with, with my, with my love and, and with my friends. Uh, I think friendship is extremely important and, um, people who support you and who love you really unreservedly. My home. My home is extremely important to me, and um, I live in a beautiful home, but it it doesn't have to be something that is extraordinary, luxurious. It has to be something that is personal and meaningful to you. Um, I love my garden, but most of all, I love to work, because for me, work is joy and play. Mm. Oh, I, so, I so relate to what you're saying. To hear more about Marilyn Lightstone, you can go to MarilynLightstone.com or to see her beautiful photography, just check out at Marilyn Lightstone on Instagram. And of course, you can hear Marilyn every night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Nocturne, exclusively on the new classical 96.3 FM. You can also listen to Marilyn's brand new podcast entitled Marilyn Reads on classicalfm.ca. We're going to go to a short commercial break and we come back. Marilyn sings back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss, AM 740 FM 96.7, and we are here with the wonderful and delightful Marilyn Lightstone. Marilyn, you're a beautiful singer. You've sung your whole life, and you've done one-woman shows, singing everything from show tunes to tort songs. And we'd love for you to sing us out of this interview with one of your favorites, a song you wrote and performed yourself. 
Here is Marilyn Lightstone singing If I Met You Next Wednesday from her show Songs for Grownups. Let's roll that clip. I can see you in all my tomorrows If I met you next Wednesday I want to thank you so much, Marilyn Lightstone. You are truly a national treasure, beyond talented, beautiful, and beloved by so many of us, including this Zoomer. Thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Each week, we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you are a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. Also, we encourage you to visit us at findingyourbliss.com. And of course, follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank my very special guest, Marilyn Lightstone, for being here today. Also, a big thank you to our supervising producer, Mag Ruffman, production manager, Siobhan Kylie, PA researcher and editor, Haley Allegia, audio producer, Faz Kazi, to Greg Golds and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For all of us here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Lee Brack, reminding you all to do something you love and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.